Toronto FC, a team with a new direction after an off-season makeover. It's an all-Canadian affair. Matt working against Morgan. Puts it across the mile. Yes! Marco DeVille! That's what we expected from him! To make those rainbows in my mind when I think of you sometime and I wanna spend some time with you just the two of us. And welcome to a special edition of the Two Solitudes podcast. Dwayne Rollins in Toronto with Kevin Laramay in Montreal. We're going to break down the uh, Amway Canadian Championship Voyagers Cup games from this week. And just as a quick nod, that's the last time I'm going to say Amway in this. Con- in this, Not that I have anything against title sponsorships. We're just going to call it the Voyagers Cup for the rest of the way through. And we're going to thank the good folks from Amway for helping Canadian Soccer out with that title sponsorship off the top. Uh, we're going to break down those Voyagers Cup games. Uh both frustrating games for Montreal and Toronto. I, I think the Vancouver folks, uh, even though they lost, might be the the happiest of all in this. Uh, or Edmonton, I suppose. They got to win over MLS uh, competition. I shouldn't dismiss that. Oh, you, um, had, you had to say it, right? You yeah, had to say it. <laughs> I, I, I've got to admit, and Kevin watched uh, every every last second of that game, so he's going to talk in depth about it. I, I was out uh, for a bite to eat after the TFC game here in Toronto, which ended with on a bitter note here. Uh, you know, they, they shouldn't have been... Basically, the, the the lineup differences and the right to the whole play that was going on, you would have hoped they were up by more than two going into stoppage time, but then suddenly they were up by one. But we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail soon. Um, we're also going to break down the Canadian women's uh, draw against uh, the U.S. Uh, last night in Winnipeg in front of almost 30,000 people. Um, and an amazing night in Winnipeg, and I, I, we've got to give the women their due um, in the third segment tonight. Um, with that, we'll take a real quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll start that breakdown. back to talk a little Voyager's Cup. The first legs of the semifinals took place uh, this week, midweek. Uh, always fun to get out there midweek. Those midweek games are always the best. A big crowd in Toronto. It was a Nice to see again after a few years where this competition took a backseat. And we're going to start with that game, uh, Kevin. It was the first game of the night. Uh, Vancouver came to Toronto with a very young lineup. Uh, started a 17-year-old in goal. Yeah, the U17 player, and uh, he he had a good night, a couple point blank stops. I remember at one point during the game, Kevin looking at uh, at at my better half and and saying, you know, that kid that that just made his life. He just stopped Jermaine Defoe in a point blank <laughs> shot. And yeah, uh, for, for a 17 year old to do that in MLS, that's crazy. 17 year old kid from Vancouver, you know, it's it's good stop for that, and. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I have to take my uh, my TFC, my Trontonian hat off and think about things from a Canadian national team perspective. And from that perspective, it was nice to see Vancouver's young kids um, have a good go, have a good run out there with Toronto. Um, oh, yeah, so... Had... Oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Toronto had a lot of the ball, but uh, Vancouver defended well and, and got that late goal. Absolutely, and that one goal on the road could be beneficial for Vancouver because with that Manny goal in extra time, basically they just need to do 
a goal at home and they're through. So it's going to be interesting to see what Vancouver does next week. But I have to say, Dwayne, the U23 of Vancouver really impressed me against the A team of Toronto. They kept it. They kept up with the team. They went blow for blow, toe to toe, and it was a great game. And I'm really impressed by Vancouver, to be honest. Yeah, I think that absolutely. Now, Vancouver deserves a lot of credit for there. In terms of the overall tie, as I wrote after the game, it was a disappointing result for Toronto. You, you would have hoped for more at home. Um, but at the same time, and, and this, you know, some people listening to Vancouver may think this is me trying to justify a result. I don't. I, w- I was quite disappointed walking out of that stadium. But at the same time, I objectively look at this and say that this tie is hardly over for Toronto. I mean, yes, Vancouver could advance with a 1-0 home win, but, uh, you know, 2-1, it goes to extra time, 3-2, it, you know, it, it, you've got to just keep projecting it up like that. Toronto just really needs to score one away goal to even this thing up or hold on to what they have. A, a nil-nil draw will advance them. Any draw at all will advance TFC. Uh, I think what the that late goal did, um, with Toronto scoring, a, scoring quite late themselves to take the lead, Michael Bradley off a nice little give-and-go with Jermaine Defoe, which was nice to see there. Um, what that did is I think it gave a decision for Carl Robinson heading into the second leg. And, and I think maybe, you know, I'll ask you, Kevin, do you think that, that Vancouver is going to go with the same approach for the second leg, or do you think we're going to see more of their their regular lineup back in, in BC place? Oh, I'm sure they're going to put their B-plus, A-minus team next Wednesday to make sure they have a shot of moving on. Like we talked on earlier episodes, it's either Vancouver or Edmonton's year because it's the only two teams that actually want to win this year. So I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Vancouver and Edmonton move on. But to be honest, Vancouver just needs to uh, to decide what they want to do. With the young team they have, with Robinson, the new coach, do they want to put all their eggs in MLS or do they want to spread over on two competitions? That's basically what Vancouver is going to decide before they play next Wednesday. Yeah, and we gave a lot of credit for for the the players that were on the pitch and what they did for the Whitecaps, and we'll repeat that now. But I think that I was a little disappointed to see the lineup they they did put out. This is a competition that the Whitecaps had famously never won before, either in the the new version of it, the the Canadian Championships, and I'll say Amway one more time, the Amway <laughs> Canadian Championships, or in the old version, which was a, a round-robin, fan-driven event that the Voyagers' Cup was presented for. The, the Whitecaps are the only club to, the only MLS club, to have never won that competition. Toronto has won it. Montreal has won it a great deal, uh, in particular before the uh, the MLS years. Montreal was the only team to have won it. But uh, you would have thought that maybe they would have given a greater priority. I know that the Southsiders are, are very interested in winning this competition. It's, it's one of their highest priorities. But I think that that speaks to something that I've talked about a lot in the past, that if you go beyond the supporters' culture and the supporters' groups, and I realize that you and I, Kevin, we talk more to more supporters' groups people than we do non-supporters' <laughs> group people. Because, but the reality is there's a hell of a lot more non-supporters' group people out there in the fan base, and they don't necessarily respond to this competition in the same way. Um, I was at the game with, with friends of friends, and, you know, I, I remember having a conversation with one of them after where we had to explain to him, and I, this is someone who enjoys the game and enjoys coming to TFC, but we still had to explain to him that this wasn't an MLS game after the, ga- the game. He was just there to watch TFC. And that's a, a lot of the thing that I think people miss. So uh, we'll see what Vancouver does. I have a feeling that, that, that getting that second goal was one of those things that Carl Robinson now has to <laughs> take the game seriously. And if it was down a two-goal lead, he might have gone out with a similar lineup in the second leg and went, hey, you know, we put the kids out there and we'll see what happens. Oh, yeah, and for sure now with that Mane goal, the supporters, like you said, the Southsiders, 
are going to ask the team to put a big, big, um, big team moving forward. And I just can't wait till next Wednesday to see how the Montreal supporters react. Because we all remember last year, after a 2-0 defeat against the Toronto, how they reacted. Can you imagine now after an Edmonton defeat? <laughs> it's going to be crazy next uh, next Wednesday at Saputo. Oh. Yeah, and we're we're going to talk about uh, about the impact uh, just in a second here, but it's going to be uh, uh, interesting to see Montreal's reaction uh, to that. As you said, the uh, the impact fans, God love them, do tend to be both hot and cold in a, in a way that other, oh, yeah. other fans aren't in this country. They they may uh, voice their displeasure to what has been already a challenging, shall we say, start to the season this year. Yeah, challenging, but I'll be surprising to see if uh, the Southsiders will have that same type of reaction. Are they going to come out and banner and say, oh, we wish you put out a better team or an A team on Wednesday would have had a better shot of winning or having a better result? So it's going to be interesting the way the Vancouver supporters react on Wednesday. It, it will be. I think that uh, most of their supporters will uh, be happy with the result that the young kids did out there. I mean, uh, we'll say this about the Southsiders, that even though they, they do love this competition, but I think that they would appreciate also that uh, that a bunch of young Canadian kids did well in that game. So uh, I, I expect Vancouver's reaction will be, uh, uh, for those that are, are invested in this competition, will be positive, thinking that they got that away goal in Toronto. And that, as you said off the top, that a 1-0 win uh, four, four of the Whitecaps would advance them and allow them. I think they have a real good chance to finally win this competition based on the, the play of the other. I, I, we're going to talk um, as a bit of a bumper between the Montreal and the game. Uh, just as a little bit of TFC news this week, and we're going to briefly touch on that. Uh, Gala um, Abasamande, which is always a mouthful to say, <laughs> the boss, Abasamande, uh, he was traded. Uh, this was a bit player, player they picked up in the, that infamous weighted lottery last year. It was the only TFC's only weighted lottery victory in its in its history is now gone. Um, <laughs> so there's another a notch in the in the bedpost, I guess. But at any rate, um, he's been traded for uh, for British player Luke or English player, I should say, Luke Moore. Uh, he was with Chivas USA. It was his first season in MLS. He signed in the off season from the Turkish league where he hadn't been paid, which is a common uh, problem over there in Turkey. I uh, only played six games, six appearances this year. Uh, if you go to canesoccernews.com, you'll see a little uh, article I wrote last night, which breaks the trade down uh, for Basawande uh, to more and sort of looks at that and looks at what it might mean for TFC. I'm not going to go into great deal with it here. It is kind of a depth for depth sort of trade. Uh, Basawande was not going to play for TFC this year. Uh, they liked the kid Haglin. Haglin. Nick Haglin was supposed to be the first round draft pick of TFC this year. He was scheduled to start. Uh, in the Voyager's Cup game, um, he had the flu, so they pulled him out at the last minute. He's clearly above a bus Monday in the packing order. Uh, so they have really just moved on from that and decided to get a player in more who really had a struggle to the start of his MLS uh, career. Uh, he's a player that has a little bit of championship experience in, in a, well, he's attached to an EPL team, but he uh, really never played in that level. He played at the championship a little bit. Um you know, played at some to other top leagues, but this is kind of a player that maybe was a little bit more was expected uh, in Chivas, uh, and he really didn't deliver. The numbers are all up at CSN for, for you to see. Uh, he's, you know, the key point, there's a couple key points from a TFC perspective. This is a minor upgrade from Randall Wiedemann as the third forward. Um, I think this will spell nearly the end of Wiedemann's time, both when you combined uh, Jordan Hamilton going down to Wilmington to try and get some time to, to catch up to to take over Wiedemann there, and if Dyke comes back uh, for the fall, which is what his goal is now, I think you, in those cases, Wiedemann's days are numbered with TFC, and um, you know he should start getting his resume out to to uh, NASL and USL clubs. But um, that's just that. 
Uh, in terms of losing to Boston Monday, I don't think it means anything, as I said. Uh, the other quick point this trade might make is it might allow them to play D-Row a little bit for a little bit more in the midfield, uh, which I think is his preferred position, his best position, rather than strictly right up top. But, you know, not a lot to really get worked up over this. We'll we'll probably see more. We might even see more next week in Vancouver. It would be a good chance to get him in the lineup. Uh, but but we'll move on from there. And um, one question guess, before we move on, Dwayne, I was thinking for Toronto, uh, what kind of uh, is it really a death move? Is it really to be able to uh, counteract the leaving of the couple players for the World Cup? It could and could be. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of people that have asked me that. It, you know, I, I when the trade news came out, it came out very late last night, about five o'clock. They wondered whether maybe TFC had received a, a phone call from from jolly old England that uh, Mr. Defoe was going to get the call to Brazil. And uh, there is some question about that. Is Defoe going to get called up? I've, I've never thought that he's going to make the 23-man roster. There is a chance he'll make the 30-man roster, and there is a chance that if he does make the 30-man roster that he'll be called into camp so that TFC would lose him for a little while. In many ways, that's the worst-case scenario for TFC. They don't get the uh, promotion bump of having Jermaine Defoe in the World Cup, but they still lose him though, as he goes to a camp for two weeks. So I don't know whether that's what anyone wants. But, uh, you know, that is a possibility. If they do do lose Defoe, the, there'd be a major downgrade <laughs> to go to more from Defoe. But uh, it certainly could uh, speak to that. And in the press release, um, Bezmachenko did say that... Uh, that Tim Bezbachenko, the GM, of course, did say that uh, that depth for the World Cup was part of their mind. Um, I think that both Gilberto and uh, Defoe uh, will be around uh, during the World Cup. There, well, Gilberto for sure. Uh, Defoe as well, I think, will be around throughout the break. And that Michael Bradley and uh, Julius Cesar are the only two major losses that TFC will have for the World Cup break, which really. You know, it, it, that should be uh, should be coverable. I think Kyle Becker has stepped up enough that he will provide enough of a of a. With him and Ozero together, the two mm-hmm. young Canadians, I think the two of them together makes three quarters of a Michael Bradley, and that will be <laughs> be enough to to gap it for for a few weeks. Because as we've said a few times, and as we may talk about if we talk about the World Cup moving forward, I don't think the U.S. has lasted more than three games in in Brazil, and that's with no disrespect intended. Um, oh no! Like I saw earlier this week, like, oh, what are you going to do when the U.S. wins the World Cup? What I'm doing is close my Xbox and then go to sleep. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to go pinch myself and make sure that I'm not in some parallel universe at this point in time. Again, this is not disrespectful. It's the draw. As soon as Portugal, that ball saying Portugal came out, the U.S. was in a little tough. Um, anyway, at that point, Kevin, we we've. We put it off long enough. We do yes. have to talk about an historical event that uh, that occurred this week. The uh, first time in the uh, the modern edition of the Neutralite can or sorry Neutralite. I did it. <laughs> I, I lost it almost the whole podcast without calling yeah. it with uh, calling it the Neutralite, the uh, anyway, Canadian Championship, and that's the fifth reference you got, folks. Um, first time that an NASL team has uh, has pulled a victory over their MLS counterparts. And uh, Kevin, you watched that game. What were your thoughts? Ugh. That is, those were my exact thought. Boakai, Boakai, Boakai. <laughs> that dude is impressive. And it's not just a flash in the pen. We saw in the two weeks prior to that, the way he played against Ottawa, that 17-year-old little dude from Edmonton could be maybe a future star for Canada men's national team. But for now, he's a star for the Eddies. And by himself, he destroyed the midfield of the Montreal Impact, gave a great assist 
for the tying goal and then a blunder at the end of the game cost Montreal the game on the road on a very hard and cold Clark Stadium pitch. It's a very surprising. Montreal Impact came in with a a half-and-half type of starting lineup. Mix of youth, of experience. Still had players like we met. Blake Smith played a lot. Jack Mack got the start. Warner as a number 10. And that probably can explain why Montreal did not produce anything creatively up top. Nothing whatsoever. The only goal was basically almost a lucky goal by Jack Mack. Which, you know what? Edmonton deserved better. Edmonton was the best team and the best player again was a 17-year-old from Canada. And that's, I think, the great thing about this competition and what you have to take away from if you want to view this as a neutral, that a, that a young kid uh, playing in the NASL could step up and, and get some goals uh, at the MLS level. And you'd have to think that uh, that would get the attention. Certainly Montreal probably knows this kid's name now, and they maybe might be reaching out to see whether there might be a deal to be done. There was uh, a, there was a rumor uh, in the second, in, during the second half when he got subbed out that DeSantis already bought him. So <laughs> that's why he got subbed out, but I don't know about that. <laughs> That's like almost a Man City-like move. Somebody would make a joke about that. Let's buy him. No. Anyway, uh, there, there is. A, this might be a topic for another day. There, the NASL and MLS is uh, have some challenged relations sometimes. So it, and uh, I know that Edmonton has set up their contracts so that the players can't just easily move to MLS, and they don't mean that as a way to hold these players back. They, this is a way that Edmonton is purposely set up to protect their own. Um, development investments uh mm-hmm. so uh getting a player like that out will require a purchase and uh mls and nasl don't necessarily um do that very often but i, I think for the bad for the benefit of the sport moving forward mls needs to get its head out of you know what and start to to pay uh these lower leagues for their development costs in the terms of transfer fees but uh, that's a topic i think that we may explore on the full version of this podcast one oh, yeah. day and uh, just one of the last thoughts I have about that game, it was Evan Bush got the start in the net instead of uh, Troy Perkins. So it's been the case for the last uh, last year as well for the Canadian Championship and the CONCACAF Champions League. And you know what? He might have cost the game. His little blunder and not good positioning at the second goal of Edmonton really uh, tells us one thing. Either he's tired of only playing a couple of games a year, which could be understandable, or maybe he was overrated all along. It's a question I still don't can't put the finger on it, and I still can't quite understand which one it is. But one thing's for sure, if he gets picked up by an expansion team, he might get uh, uh, found out next year. Yeah, and it's a challenge with backup keepers, and, and the, uh, the Voyager's Cup has become the... Uh, the bastion of the backup keeper <laughs> in recent years. So um, we saw it in Toronto as well with Joe Bendick, and there is a debate here that a lot of people are having on whether Toronto's money was uh, was well spent with the Cesar versus Bendick, whether the difference is great enough, and that's something that that's really hard this early in the season and with the the eyes to to play down. I think that uh, that Cesar is a greater upgrade than Bendick than people realize, but at the same time, I do understand the uh, question of whether you want to spend a great deal on on your keepers and when you look at TFC's salary uh with the two keepers with Bendit getting the raise it is it is a lot of money invested in in you know a player that's going to sit in the bench for a lot of the year but at any rate um you know the the one thing that uh just before this podcast started I was running some some numbers uh some offensive numbers for MLS Hull and um I you know again was reminded at how much of an elite player Marco DeVaio is even at his advanced age, and um, it really does, with the lack of production Montreal created in this game, really does speak to 
to just how important that player is to the to Montreal's uh, Montreal's play. Oh, um, he's, he's vital. He's the the engine. He's the the driver, and he's the reels at the same time. Do you think Devio will play next Wednesday? I hope not, because we we've been talking about how Montreal should not concentrate at all on the uh, Voyagers Cup. So be coherent and stay with your Jack Mack. Let him play and put Devio against Kansas City tomorrow. Fair enough. And I, you know, one last question: we, you, you know, we did speculate a little bit about what the, the Vancouver fans will react. I, it, you, you have your, uh, you know, your ear to the ground there in Montreal. That what, what are the UMO two? What is the Montreal fan? How are they going to react to the uh, to the fact they lost to to Edmonton? The fact that it wasn't Toronto might not generate as big as reaction as last year. Because let's remember, last year after the two nothing loss at the ends of the, the Red Hands of Toronto, Montreal came back home with a silent protest from the Ultras with banners saying that we took it seriously. They're like, 2 nothing. we took it seriously, we were there. What are you going to say now that we actually lost against an inferior club inferior? That's another point. I've written on Twitter lately that, you know what, maybe the NASL play is not that far off from MLS after all, because the last team in NASL beat one of the last teams in Major League Soccer. <laughs> that could be true, but to go back to the supporters, I have a feeling I'm going to see some bad reaction. Might not be as big as last year. But there's still going to be a lot of rumblings, and I wouldn't be surprised to see banners again wishing to have a different general manager in Montreal. We've been seeing that for the last couple of weeks. Ah, uh, the general manager is becoming the target now, not, no longer the coach? Uh, no. Well, to be fair, uh, the general manager has been a target all along. <laughs> never were any supporters shown. They never show banners against any coach. For the last four years, you could say they always show banners for the GM. A quick, quick question, uh, in somewhat off topic, and uh, you know, before I get into that, I, I will say this: that even though it is many years on, on now, FC's loss that still burns the greatest wasn't even a loss; it was a draw in 2008 in the final game of this competition against a lower level side in the Montreal Impact, who went on, of course, to have that great run in the Concacaf Champions League themselves. So that, that to this day in Toronto remains something that is just you know, a thorn in the claw of, of most of the supporters for TFC. They hate the fact they lost to that lower-level team in the impact that year. Um, the question I was going to ask, Kevin, is, is this. It, you know, we talk about criticism to the GM, uh, criticism for managers in the past. Does anyone ever criticize the owner in Montreal? Not really. And I have a feeling for that because they don't want him to... They don't want him to fold the team. So they... Literally, they're... And that's another thing. To be honest, people are walking on eggshells all the time, and that can be good. It's a type of censorship, and uh, media and press people should not be afraid of getting their credentials removed just by saying what they think. Uh, it should be important that uh, journalists have a freedom of press, but not just that, a freedom of movement and a freedom of thinking, and... With the type of management that Montreal Impact had in the last couple of years, I cannot say that it was 100% the case all the time. In, let me just say this quickly, and then we'll we'll bump around and we'll talk about the Canadian women uh, who had a you know a decent result last night. But uh, uh, Joey Saputo has done a lot of wonderful things for the sport in Montreal and mm-hmm. in, in Quebec. Uh, he certainly stepped up and and provided that uh, that city with with some stable ownership in a time when when there was a real chance that the, that the team might go away, but. 
there is also a reason why outside of Montreal, the uh, the nickname Crazy Joey exists. Uh, and and maybe uh, maybe there's a little too much meddling there, and that's always been the perspective from outside of Montreal. So it's just something that that I was curious about. But uh, but before I uh, we lose all of our Montreal subscribers, we'll move on, and uh, we'll. Uh, that's before I lose my press credentials. <laughs> we'll, uh, as I said, Joey has done a lot of wonderful things uh, for for the city of Montreal, though, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. I and there have been some great Montreal teams. I think the impact they uh, they're. Um, one of those hit or go home kind of teams. They they either hit it out of the park or they they ground out to first weekly. And that, there's my baseball analogy for the day. Um, we're going to take a break <laughs> before I get Kevin in any more trouble. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the one one draw in Winnipeg for the Canadian women's national team and the U.S. women's national team last night. Thanks for listening to the Two Solid Dudes MLS podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Larme on Canadian Soccer News. If you want to reach to any Kevin, email two solid to his podcast at gmail.com. Twitter, two solitudes pod. Go like our page on Facebook. iTunes, rate and review now. Back to the show. And we're back, and uh, we're going to end the conversation today with a talk about what I thought was a really good result last night in Winnipeg. A 1 1 draw. I know that uh, a lot of people will be disappointed that that they couldn't hold on for the win. They held it pretty late, and then bloody Sydney LaRue got the goal again. Not, not uh, her again. Ah, uh, Anybody but her. Well, Seriously? It was always going to be her. But, I know. And Sydney LaRue is an immensely talented player. I'll, I'll let you in a little secret, guys. She got my vote for player of the year in the world last year. So, uh, <laughs> um, well, one of them was top three. But at any rate, uh, yeah, it... It was a great result, though, and you can't lose sight. As I tweeted out last night, it was only the ninth time in history that Canada has gone into a game with the United States and has not lost. And they have played a hell of a lot more than nine games against each other. Uh, so Yeah, that's not bad at all. You know, it was a... It, they, they played um, defensively well. Uh, Buchanan was obviously the star. She stepped in. She was... Even if you read through my timeline, and I interact with a lot of women soccer fans because of writing I've done in the past during these games, and and I always gain a lot of followers during these games, too, and most of them are American. But So I have a lot of American uh, women's fans in my feet, is what I'm trying to say. And and they were all really, uh, they had a lot of respect for, for Buchanan's game. Um, I know that uh, she's just such a tough player, such a ruthless player. I, I think she's going to be a real star. She's the absolute gem that, that John Herdman has unearthed in his time uh, managing this team. And, and uh, in a game where Christine Sinclair was was a little bit uh, invisible a lot, and and that's something I think we'll talk about in a bit. But uh, you know, Buchanan stepped up and and really showed that, uh, that there is a next generation out there that uh, Canadian fans can look forward to. And not just that, the backline, the backline was consisted of Ryan Wilkinson and three U twenties, and look what they did. Only one goal. One back was not seen at all the whole game. They only conceded one. For almost all U20 defense, it's faring off pretty good for this summer. Yeah, it, certainly. And, and I've said before that I think that, uh, you know, I, people talk bravely about Canada's chances in 2015. I think a quarterfinal berth, as I say, every time anyone asks me, it would be a wonderful accomplishment in 2015, an accomplishment all Canadians should be proud of. But I think 2020, there is a chance that they could get to a semifinals if they get the right draw. Uh, if they get sort of the right results there. So, uh, as you say, these these kids are getting a lot of experience. Uh, they're getting experience playing the very top-end talent in the world. 
uh, and it's got to benefit them when they're playing against the U20s this summer. So I am I'm looking forward to that. And uh, just as a quick promotional note, if you, the t- single game tickets did go on sale last week, you can go to the CSA website to find out how to get them. They are very cheap. There's really no excuse if you support Canadian soccer to not get out it to uh, to watch a game this summer. I I plan to watch all of them in Toronto, all seven games that are going to be here. I'm hoping to get up for the final in Montreal. We'll see how my schedule permits that. Um, but yeah, get out there and watch those games because it will be exciting to watch. Um, you know, Sinclair. I talked about him at her a minute ago, and I she's obviously key to any chance that Canada does have in 2015. And I have noticed the last few uh, international games. If you if you look at the standings of the goal standings between Wambach and, and Sinclair, if you remember at the end of the the London Olympics, uh, they were like basically tied. And now if you look at Wambach's goals versus Sinclair's goals, they're, they're not even close anymore. Wambach has run away as the all-time leading scorer now. I worry whether Christine Sinclair is being overused by this team. Um, I don't know what the answer is because they don't have another answer, and that's a problem. But but I didn't notice her a lot last game, and I can't remember the last time I came away from a Canadian women's national team game and didn't notice Christine Sinclair that much. But to be fair, Dwayne, is it not... Uh, something positive that the fact that she was not even a factor in the game and we still got a result. Maybe the uh, the, the other players are picking up the slacks and maybe eventually John Erdman is already thinking about the future. That could be a possibility. Yeah, absolutely it is. And they are trying to work on their style. I, I did actually have it got leaked to me, a preparation document. And I know that uh, so they, I understand what Canada was doing uh, in their prep leading up to this. And I, I understand that they were working on Uh, they were treating that game uh, like it was a knockout game with the World Cup. That was their strategy, so their their tactics reflected that. They didn't open up as much as they would have otherwise. They were trying to to play a, a more organized style. Uh, and again, they were they were treating the game, uh, strategically speaking, as if it were a knockout game at the World Cup as part of their World Cup preparation. That's They have a very detailed plan in terms of how they... they um, approach friendlies because of course Canada doesn't have to qualify for the World Cup so if you look at it that way uh, the result you know they got the result they got this thing in extra time essentially uh, in, in a knockout game just like they did in the Olympics and if you combine that and understand that and remember the last time they played the US in a in a competitive uh, meaningful game uh, they also got it to to extra time unfortunately they lost it in extra time as we all remember but uh, yeah but, but they did and uh, so that's got to bode well too the US is You know, obviously not the only team in the world that, that Canada has to get past, though. And uh, there are some friendlies upcoming against different style teams. And it will be very interesting to see uh, how they approach those games and, and what they do there. But uh, last night, you know, good result, I think, overall. Absolutely. Shout out to all the Voyagers who made the trip. Uh, there was not a lot of them, but it's not the, the quantity, it's the quality. So hello to all the Voyagers who made it down to Winnipeg. Yeah, and we, this is Saskatchewan boys out there. And we heard you count. Uh, one, two, three, four. Uh, at any rate, I just... Uh, it, It's Jeff it, Salisbury, for people who don't know, and Rob Nottenboom. Yeah, you know, they, they travel all over the place, and that's the thing about the, the Canadian supporters. There, there may not be a lot of them, but they tend to go everywhere, and that's that's kind of interesting. So it's uh, we'll see. We'll hopefully see a lot of them out in the U-20s. Speaking of supporters, uh, I have to mention it. Uh, there was one Montreal Impact supporter during the Edmonton game, and it was all we could hear. So uh, H. Brittany on Twitter... Hello, welcome, uh, a little hello from Montreal, and we hear you pretty well. <laughs> uh, and actually, before I, you know, and we'll give props, there were, uh, it, from my, oh, I don't know who they were necessarily, but I did see them before 
for the game. There are maybe 10 Whitecaps fans that, that made the trip, or maybe were expats, I'm not sure. But there was a table at, at the pregame pub, and uh, there was a little section up there. So always good to see the uh, the away support. It, uh, it adds to the atmosphere. Um, you know, again, it was a good result for the Cane women team. I think this will end the podcast with a real disreference to the Americans. And the one thing that I, I did notice Kevin is they looked a little disjointed to me they did have a lot of their their stars were, were sitting this one out uh, some of their stars of course uh, uh, Alex Morgan is, is still not available and that's a big loss I, I think to me Alex Morgan is the best player the women's player in the world right now so you know you've got to factor all these in but uh, the U.S. program they got off the Algarve where they they did so well they fired their coach now they've struggled to get a draw against Canada I just wonder whether that means that the U.S. might be on a bit of a down dip I don't know did you take away that? That's a feeling I have, and especially watching players like Wambach, which basically did the same thing as Sinclair did, was invisible all night, and it doesn't fare well for the United States. They're looking, like you said, on a downward spiral right now, and it's looking like a start of a slide, and a start of losing momentum, but not just that, losing uh, organization in the midfield, especially. That's what I, that, that was jumped up at me last night, and I really, well, for Canada's sake, it might be good. But for the United States, uh, they really need to get themselves together. It's a year away from the World Cup, not even 90 days away from the U-20s. And they seem like they're not in the right path for now. And the changing coach a year away from the World Cup still, it's a pretty risky move. And I think they changed the coach because they, they were noticing problems themselves. Uh, that's that's at least the the message that they gave in it. And they thought that they needed to make the change now. And uh, this game could have just been a reflection of the problems that they, they caused them to make that change. Uh, you know, we'll be careful. We'll give the caveat. If we're, we're saying the U.S. is on a bit of a downslope, that's all in context, right? Yeah. The U.S. wins every other major women's tour- tournament that's ever happened, basically. So, you know, a downslope for them might mean third place in a tournament, not not winning it. So, uh, you know, obviously I think that the amount of depth they have that, uh, that they'll figure themselves out. But, uh, last night certainly was, was a, a bit of a slip up for them. And, and, but I think more importantly for us, it was a, it was a good performance, a solid performance for the Canadian women. And it might bode well that they may be able to build on that. Uh, we'll, we'll do more of these as the, as the summer progresses, there will be a, a couple more friendlies upcoming this year. But for that, I think that we've talked a lot for you today, and uh, we gave you a little special edition. It was a little longer than I intended it to be, but uh, <laughs> you're welcome. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you on Monday with our full uh, regular version of the Two Salt Toots podcast. And I just want to say a little hello to all the Off the Woodworks listeners. It was a crossover show today, so a uh, good game tomorrow against Kansas City. Let's just hope that it's not another 4 nothing. Good things might come to those who wait, but not for those who wait too late. We gotta go for all we know, just the two of us. We can make it if we try.